Awesome. So next Sunday, right after church, you don't need to sign up for anything to go to that. You can just come right after church over there in the multi-purpose room. It takes about five or ten minutes to get that uh, switch to flip from kids to have a meeting like that. But if you want to come, you don't need to sign up. Just show up. There's going to be free lunch and, uh, and everything there next Sunday. All right? All right? Um, hey, today we are uh, we're trucking on through, man, through our series Multiply. Today we're in the book of Ephesians. Um, so you can turn there, but we're actually not going to start there. We're going to start somewhere else, and I'll tell you why we're going to start somewhere else in just a second. Um, but how many people in here, let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, does anybody here love roller coasters? I do. My hand's up. I love roller coasters. A lot of hands are going up. I love roller coasters, and I can remember the first roller coaster that I ever rode was the Vortex at Kings Island. And, uh, and, 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 I, and when I rode that ride, uh, it, was, it was as if my life was changed forever. It was, like, uh, it was like some kind of conversion experience for me because roller coasters had always freaked me out. And I remember riding that ride. I was on a trip with some friends. And, um, and I remember riding that ride, and I remember how nervous I was in line. Like I was freaking out in line because I was watching people, you know, going down the drop and the loop and all that stuff. And I was scared out of my mind. I sit in the chair, they strap you in, and I thought I was going to pee all over myself. I was absolutely horrified at what was about to happen. And, and when we got off a few minutes after that, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. And, and I just couldn't believe the experience that I just had. I looked at my friends and I said, we got to do that again. Oh my gosh, that was so amazing. And we ended up riding it that day at least, I think, three or four more times. I mean, I just love everything about it. I love, I love going down that first drop, and, and I loved all of the, the, you know, the loops and everything. I just, I just love that ride, and now I just love roller coasters, but, but that one particularly, that's the very first one that I ever rode, and we rode it over and over and over on that day, and the second time, it was just as awesome, and the third time, it was, it was unbelievable, and the fourth time, it was really good, but now today, listen, that now today, listen, if we're at Kings Island, bro, I'm going to ride that ride. I'm, I'm going I'm to ride all of those rides. But you know what? Now, I'm just kind of used to it. Now, it's, it's, it's all really predictable to me. I know what that first drop is going to feel like, and I know how many loops, and I know how fast it's going to go. I've been there. I've done that. I mean, it's just routine to me. And, and, and the problem is that something that I used to love became something that I got used to. And see, it's okay to do that with roller coasters and maybe a few other things in your life. But what do you do when the thing that you used to love and then you get used to it is God? What do you do then? Because that seems to be what's happened to the church that we're talking about today. The book of Ephesians was a letter from Paul to a church in the city of Ephesus. And, and it seems to be that what's happened to this church is that they have lost their spiritual passion. And the way that we know that is actually not in the book of Ephesians. That's why we're not, we're, we're going to come to the book of Ephesians in just a second. But what sets this church apart, the church at Ephesus, what sets this church apart is that the book of Ephesians is not the only letter that this church gets in the New Testament. Actually, Jesus Christ wrote a letter to this church one time. Jesus, when, when the apostle John is on the island of Patmos, he's been, he'd been sentenced there for his faith, sentenced there to die there alone on that island, and while he's there, God comes to the Apostle John and inspires him to write what we have as the book of Revelation. And in the first two chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus inspires John to write seven letters to seven different churches. And the first one that he writes to is the church at Ephesus. 
So, so actually, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter two, okay? So Revelation chapter two. Now, now we're coming to Ephesians, so you can kind of stay there or whatever, but, but Revelation chapter two is where we're gonna start this morning. That's, that's, it should be easy to find. I mean, that's the very last book in the Bible. So Revelation chapter two, and I want us to read this letter. So I'm gonna read verses one through seven. The words should be, I think, on the screen behind me. But this is Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. It says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Watch this. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. We're going to come back to that word later on. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this I have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so here's a couple of things that you need to notice about the church in Ephesus that Jesus himself says about this church. Here's the thing that you need to notice that catches my eye when I read this letter. This church is doing a lot of good. Jesus actually says that, verse two, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. Verse three, I know you're enduring patiently, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This church is active, man. They are serving the community. They are meeting needs. Their social media networks are burning it up. I mean, this church is rocking and rolling. They are, they are feeding people. They are clothing people. They seem to be getting it done. But here's what you need to know. Just because something looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's healthy on the inside, right? Say that again. Just because you look good on the outside, that doesn't mean you're healthy on the inside. See, you don't need to turn there, but if we turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul actually commends this church for their love for God and their love for For other people. And so, somewhere between Ephesians 1 and Revelation 2, this church just shifted into neutral and hit cruise control with their love and passion for God. Listen, nobody, nobody ever plans to lose their spiritual passion. Nobody does. It's not on anybody's calendar. You don't have a reminder that's going to ping off on your phone in just a second. Nobody plans to let their love for God, their passion for God fade. It just does. It's, 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 it's kind of like being married a lot of times. Maybe, maybe you can relate to this. If, if you are married, how many of you know if you don't invest in that relationship and pour into that relationship, you can stay in that relationship, but the love and passion you professed at the wedding ceremony can leave the relationship, right? I mean, I mean, you can still be in that marriage, and you can be coming home every day, and you can ask your wife, hey, honey, how was your day? Well, my day was great. How was your day? And you can pay the bills and pick up the kids and take the kids to practices and go on vacations and do all the trips, and you can post pictures of your family on Instagram and Facebook, and everything looks good, but the reality is the passion left years ago, Right? 
That can happen with God. And, and nobody plans for that to happen. Really, really, as, as I was thinking about it, I, I, thought of, I thought of two ways. That you can lose your passion for God, that you, can, that you can lose your first love, that your love and your passion for Jesus can go. I thought of two ways that you can lose that. The first one is just to live life, right? First one is just to live. Just, just the everyday routine and how mundane life can get. Clocking in, clocking out, paying the bills, doing your stuff, and life can get mundane and routine, and then all of a sudden God becomes mundane, and routine. And, and there, was no, there was no overtly scandalous sin in your life that we would call scandalous sin, but all of a sudden you know you're in a bad spot when God doesn't shock you anymore, when God doesn't stun you, when you read the Bible and it doesn't do anything to your heart anymore, when God doesn't stop you in your tracks. I mean, yeah, there might not have been any overtly scandalous sins that we would consider scandalous sins, but listen to me, Summit, when God becomes routine, that is a scandalous sin. Do you understand that? Man, you can lose your passion for God just from living. Here's, here's another one, and I've been praying for this sermon, and I've been praying for our church here. Um, I, want you to re- I want you to hear this. Another way that you can lose your passion and your, your spiritual passion, zeal, another way that you can lose your first love, which this church did, is working for God. You can lose your spiritual, you can lose your love for God from working with God. Did you know that? Did you know that? You, you can lose your passion for God, your zeal and your hunger for him by working for God. And it, listen, if you think about it, it makes sense because somebody has to take care of this need. Do you know what I'm saying? Somebody's got to take care of these people. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to do it. And all of a sudden, instead of serving God out of a love and passion for God, you serve God out of duty. Do you know what I mean? And people will pat you on the back and they will tell you, good job, and you and Jesus know that you've lost your first love. Listen, working for God is worthless without love for God. Following Jesus is better than working for Jesus. So my question is, how do you avoid what happened to this church? How do you avoid losing your first love? Let me ask you a question. Have you lost your first love, Summit? Have you lost your love for God? Have you lost your, the hunger that you had at one time, the passion that you had at one time, the desire that you had at one time? You didn't mean to and you were just living or something like that or going to church. Going to church used to be about passion and hunger. Now it's about duty. Serving God used to be about passion and hunger. Now it's about duty. Have you lost your first love? Well, what do you do when that happens? Or, or how do you stop that from happening in your life. When you lose your passion for God, how do you get it back? When you abandon the love you had at first for Jesus, how do you get that love back? I want, to see, I want us to see three things from the book of Ephesians that you and I can do to get our first love for God back, to get our passion back, or to maintain the passion that we might have right now. So three things that we can do to, to keep our first love. And here's the first one. The first one is never get over grace. Never get over 
the grace of God. Ephesians chapter two, if you've got a Bible. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. I believe the verses are gonna be on the screen. But here's what the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter two say. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Watch this, but God. Can everybody say that real quick, real real loud? Everybody say that, but God. That's good. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we had our lives all together and never messed up, loved us. Is that what it says? No, say that. Doesn't say that. It, say, it says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. When we were still in our sin, when we were still in our junk, when we were still in our mess, we were loved by God the whole time. Right? By grace you've been saved. Verse six, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Watch this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We sing all the time about God's amazing grace. Well, here's the question. What is grace? Here's what grace is. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. It's the undeserved, unmerited, I didn't do anything to earn it, didn't do anything to deserve it, undeserved, unmerited favor, mercy, love of God. That's what grace is. Is. And see, for us to see how good grace is, we need to see how bad we are. That's why he says there, look at verse, uh, verse one in chapter two. He says, and you were what in your trespasses and sins? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, 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 dead. Anybody in here watch the show, The Walking Dead? Anybody in here? Everybody didn't raise their hands. If you don't know what The Walking Dead's about, let me sum up the entire uh, show for you. The Walking Dead is about a bunch of zombies that want to eat people. And so you got to run so you don't get eaten. That's the whole show. It's great. It's captivating. You should watch it, right? That's the whole show. And and the thing about the zombies, the the walkers, is they they never strategize. They never get together. There's no walker meeting and they say, all right, here's how we're going to do it this week, guys. We're going to do this. There's no walker me. It's just a bunch of, because apparently that's the noise you make if you come back to life, okay? You just, you do that all the time, looking for somebody to snack on until later on when you can eat somebody else for lunch. That's what you do if you are a zombie, okay? So that's, that's the whole show. And it says this. It says that we are, apart from Jesus, the walking dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. It doesn't say that we were basically good people. It doesn't say that we need to work on ourselves a little bit. It says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead to what? Dead to God. We were all dead to God. We didn't want anything from God. We weren't seeking God. We didn't love God. We didn't want to know God. 
We were running away from God, doing our own thing, as exactly verse 2 says. We were following the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air. And what that means is that we didn't want anything to do with God. We were living life because we thought that life was basically make more money, that will make you happy, build your own kingdom, and then that is what life is all about. And listen to me, Summit, Satan is happy to let you live your life that way. Satan is perfectly content with you living your life like the greatest thing you can accomplish is more money. Did you know that he is perfectly happy with you going to church thinking that way? Right? But that's who we were. Listen, listen. We are not Christians because we make good choices. We're not Christians because we're more moral than other people. We were dead. Look at somebody say, you were dead. You were, we were dead towards God. And then verse four, look at verse four. It says, but God. So we didn't want God. We were not seeking God. But listen, God was seeking us. We didn't love God. God loved us. We didn't want anything to do with God. God wanted everything to do with us. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive, Summit. Did you know that? That, that there has been, listen to me, listen to me. How do I know that the resurrection happened? Well, there's a lot of reasons why I'm convinced that the resurrection happened. But here's one reason I know the resurrection happened. Because the resurrection happened in my life. I was dead and now I'm alive. And Jesus Christ did that. Right? Maybe you grew up in church. Praise God that you grew up in church. But the reason that you're here today worshiping and loving God is not that you grew up in church. Now, God might have used that, but listen, it doesn't matter if your past was a lifetime growing up in church and you were there every time the doors were open or you didn't even believe in God and the first time you ever went to church was right here a couple of weeks ago when you met Jesus. It doesn't matter what your past is. Essentially, your story and my story breaks down to this. I was dead, but God made me alive. But God changed my life but God saved me, but God brought me out of the pit, but God has made all things new in my life. Listen, Summit, that is grace. Never get over it. Never get over the grace of God. See, listen, if you don't think people are that messed up, if you don't think people are that bad, my question to you is why do kids bite when you tell them no, right? I got three kids, all three of them when they were little, when I would tell them no, bit me. I never taught them that. I never taught them that. Where'd they get that? It's because they're sinners. <laughs> right? Why, why do we get so ticked off when people tell us what to do? Oh, hey, don't you tell me what to do. Puff our chest out like we're going to do something. Oh, nobody tells me what to do. I'll show you. You've never showed nobody nothing. Okay? Calm down. All right? If you don't think that, if you, if you don't think that people are this bad. Have you watched the news for the past five minutes? Nobody, no, I can't find a single journalist that says, welcome to the news at 11, everything is awesome. See you tomorrow. Then no, I can't find that person, right? It seems as if the world is falling apart. Why? Because the world is broken. The world's broken by sin. 
And so, so never get over the fact that this is our story. We were dead, but God made us alive. And here's how sinful sin is. I can be saved by the grace of God and then get bored with the grace of God. Right? The grace of God in my life can be like a piece of furniture in my house. I was excited when I bought it, but a couple of years later, yeah, you can sit there if you want. You don't have to. I can do that with the grace of God. Yeah, I'm saved. But man, did you see the game last night? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have even said that. I know the wound is still fresh. I know. I wrote this sermon a couple of weeks ago before, before it happened. I'm sorry, all right? And listen, I'm not knocking that. I'm not knocking that at all. I'm not standing up here and not listening. If that's you, like you're fired up, and I know all kinds of people are upset talking about UK and Coach Cal and everything online. Listen, I can't judge you or put that down, your hobbies and your interests, because I'm up here on stage, and I know that it's 313 days until the next Star Wars movie comes out. So I can't judge you. I got no moral high ground, bro, right? Man, but can I be honest with you, man? I can find myself getting excited and passionate about something that doesn't matter three, a thousand years from now. Can you relate to that? Man, if I don't watch my heart, I can find myself getting excited and living for stuff that a couple of years from now, nobody will care about. Listen, a thousand years from now, nothing will be as relevant as the grace of God. Nothing will. But man, if I don't watch my heart, I can be excited about everything but the grace of God. So we need to remind ourselves that we are a product of the grace of God. Say, Mark, that's why I come, so that you can remind me. No, 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 listen. It is not my job to remind you. It is your job to remind you. It is your job to remind you. I don't see a lot of you only once every seven days. Some of you I don't see every seven days. Some of you I just see Christmas and Easter. Sorry, right? You need to be reminded more than that. You, you need to remind you about the grace of God in your life. Let me give you one way to do it. Right here, this book, right here. This book in your life. Reading this book, this book speaking into your life, because God wrote this book. We believe that God breathed and wrote this book. It is the inspired word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is about the grace of God over and over in every paragraph and every word and every sentence. It is about the grace of God. It is grace that God made us, grace that God saved us, grace that God sent Jesus, grace that Jesus came back to life three days later, grace that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, grace that I get to be a part of his people, grace that I get to serve him. It is all grace, all of it. Never get used to grace. Never get over it. So that's one way. Remind yourself over and over, you were dead, God made me alive. Never get used to grace. Here's the next one. Never fight alone. Never fight alone, number two. Hey, take your Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. This is probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 18. I'm gonna read this. This is, this is the armor of God, okay? The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts 
of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that's another word for prayers, for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Who is he writing to here? Who, who is Paul talking to here? Here's what a lot of people say. A lot of people are gonna hear that and you're gonna say, well, Paul's talking to Christians, right? He's talking to, talking to, talking to these people at the Church of Ephesus. So Paul is talking to Christians. And that is half right. Man, you are real close. Do you know who Paul is talking to here? Paul is talking to a whole church. And so many times we look at this passage, the armor of God, and what we do is we take this passage and we apply it to each individual Christian. Well, you need to put on the armor of God, and you need to put on the belt of truth, and we go through all these things. Paul is talking to a whole church, Summit. And what that means is, so what that means is when he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord, what that means is I cannot be strong in the Lord without you. And you cannot be strong in the Lord without me and all of these people around us this morning. What that means is this, we need the church. We need the church. The armor of God, I can't put on the armor of God without you. And and we can't put on the armor of God without each other. Listen, the church matters, Summit. I mean, for the Christians, I hear Christians all the time, Christians who say all the time, well, I don't need the church. Listen, the Christian who doesn't need the church is just like the fish that doesn't need water, right? Listen, Listen, if the church doesn't matter, why does Paul in Ephesians 5 call it the bride of Christ? If the church doesn't matter, why did Jesus die for the church? If you and I don't need the church, why over 50 times in the New Testament do the New Testament authors use the phrase one another, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, pray for one another? Why is there this over and over and over emphasis in the Bible on the church? The answer is because we need the church. Your relationship with Jesus is, pri- is, is, is personal, but it is never private. Say that again. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it is never private. See, what Satan wants to do, Satan wants to do this. Satan wants us, for every trial and every struggle we have in our lives, Satan wants us to isolate ourselves. Keep it in, never talk to anybody, act like we've got it all together, act like we're doing better than we are. Here's what we need to realize. The cross of Jesus Christ exposed all of us for who we really are, didn't it, right? If Jesus died for me, that means that I am so bad, Jesus had to die for me. And if Jesus did that for all of us, then Jesus exposes all of us. But Satan wants us to isolate ourselves. And listen to me, I don't care what your struggle is, I want you to know you will never beat it alone. You will never be, that struggle that you have, that thing in your life that you're trying to get over, that, that season you are trying to walk through, you will never get over it alone. And so we need each other. I need you to help me put on the armor of God. I need you to help me stand against Satan's schemes. You need the people around you this morning to help you stand against everything the enemy would want to throw at you. Well, Mark, how can we do that? It's so easy. 
I love the Bible. I love how easy and practical the Bible just lays things out uh, a lot of times. And it says, how, it says this, verse 18. How can we help each other put on the armor of God? Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. How can I help you put on the armor of God? I can pray for you. How can you help me and the people around you put on the armor of God, you can pray for them. Let me, ask you, let me ask you a question here. Let me ask you a question. Who in this church are you praying for right now? By name. Who are you praying for? Let me flip it and ask another question. Who's praying for you? Is anybody in this church Praying for you, praying that you make it through this season, praying for that thing that you're struggling with, praying for that upcoming test, praying for that upcoming meeting. Is there anybody in this church who is praying for you and and walking with you through that in prayer? Listen, no, Mark, there's nobody praying for me in this church. Mark, there's nobody in this church praying for me. I just kind of slip in and I slip out. I don't talk to anybody. They don't talk to me. I just come and I go. Listen, the only reason we are satisfied with that is because we are more American consumers than we are cross-carrying followers of Jesus, right? Is there anybody that you're praying for? Is there anybody praying for you? That's why I want to encourage you, and that's why I'm convinced every person in this church should join a group, every one of them. Every person in this church should join a group, a life group. Life groups start this week. You ought to join one. You can sign up right now in our app. Derek will be out there in the lobby. You can ask him questions. You can ask me questions. You ought to sign up for a group. I'm starting one. It meets Wednesday at 6.30 at the Student Center. You should come. Dana and Ronnie, there starts next Sunday. You should come to a life group. Say, Mark, I can't. I work nights. I can't come. Well, then you should join a serve group. So that, so that you can get in a group of people who know you by name and are praying for you. Man, it is powerful when somebody texts you or messages you and says, I prayed for you this morning. I'm lifting you up to God. I know you're hurting right now, and I'm walking, with, uh, I'm walking through this with you in prayer. Is there anybody in here praying for you? Are you praying for anybody? And listen, listen, listen. If the answer for all of us is no, I'm not praying for nobody and nobody's praying for me. If that's all of our answers, then this is not a church. It might be a good show. But if we're not praying for each other, this is not a church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Never fight alone. Never get over it. Never fight alone. Here's the last one and I'm done. Repent. Repent. I know that's a real churchy word. I don't know how that word lands on you. But the word repent, it means, it means to turn from something towards something else. The word repent, literally, it means a change of direction. So I'm looking this way, and to repent means I turn this way. To repent means, God, I am turning from this, and I am turning to you. In Revelation 2, 5, God says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. You, you're, doing, you're serving. You're meeting the community's needs. You don't love me anymore. So verse 5, remember, where, remember when you used to love me? Here's his solution. Repent. What's repent sound like? Here's what repent sounds like. God, I am sorry. And a lot of times we think repent is is what we do when we're in trouble, don't we? 
It's what we do when we got caught. Oh, I got caught. I'm sorry. Repent. Repent. So we do. Church, there's joy in repentance. There's joy. And the reason there's joy in repentance is because repentance puts God back at the center. And here's what repentance sounds like. God, I am sorry. God, I am sorry that I stopped loving you. I'm sorry that serving you became a duty and not a delight. I'm sorry I got bored with the Bible. I'm sorry I stopped praying. God, I'm sorry I kind of shifted into neutral and I'm just coasting and I'm not passionate like I used to be. God, I'm sorry I'm not praying. God, I'm sorry we're doing this. God, I'm sorry I'm looking at that. God, I'm sorry I've done this. God, I'm sorry I went there. God, I am sorry. Repentance shouldn't be something I do the first time when I give my life to Jesus. Yeah, I do it then, but repentance ought to be something I do every single day to put God back at the center. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything right now you need to look at God and say, God, I am sorry. God, I am sorry. Here's what we're doing today and we're done. I want to challenge you to do two things today, church. Challenge you to do two things. I want to challenge you, number one, to get in a group. To get in a group. Either a life group or a serve group. Why are you challenging me to do that? Why? Does the church need more volunteers? Why? Do we, do, does the church need that? No, no, no. You need that. This is not about what the church needs. This is not about anything. I need people in my life praying for me and encouraging me to walk with God. We all do. Where does that happen? It happens in our life groups and serve groups. I want to challenge you to join a group. I know it is so easy to come in and out, and there's a lot of people here this morning. I see a lot of new faces, and it would be so easy, slip in, slip out, get in the car, go to Circle T. Right, right. Hey, what if you fought against that and said, you know what, man, you know what? I've been coming to this church for a year, and I'm not doing, I'm just coming. I don't think there's anybody praying for me in this church. Why don't you come out of hiding, off of the sidelines, and join a group? Get in a group of imperfect, messy people pursuing a perfect Savior. I want to challenge you to do it. I want to challenge you to do it. Challenge you to join a serve group or a life group. If you can do both, awesome. If you can do one, do what you can do. But I think, I think you need it. I think you need it. I need it. I need it. I want to challenge you to do it. How can I do it? You can sign up in our app. You can go to our welcome table, ask a question. You can go to Derek. Derek, raise your hand real quick. There you go. There you go. Handsome guy right there in the row right there. Just put his hand up. Right, there's Derek. You can come talk to me. How do I join a serve group? Take that connection card on the back. says, I want to volunteer. Check that. We'll get in contact with you this week. But we need people to help us pursue Jesus. That's the first thing. Number two. Here's the second thing, and we're done. Is there anything right now that you need to tell Jesus you're sorry for? Do you need to repent today? God, I need to repent from this. I'm going to give you a moment right now to do that. I'm going to give you a moment right now to come clean to God and to name it. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you don't need to do anything in this moment. Praise the Lord. But maybe you do. Say, God, I'm sorry I'm going through the motions. God, I'm sorry I'm kind of just going to church, but I'm not really excited about you, passionate about you. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm, I'm sorry for, I repent from, this is a moment right now where we can just come clean to God. 
Maybe what you need to repent of is the fact that you've been in the driver's seat of your life the entire time and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. But today, he brought you here to say, you know what, I love you. And today I want to save you. Today I want to make all things new in your life. And to begin a relationship with him, you don't need to come to church for a year and clean off first and jump through all kinds of hoops. Jesus has done the work. You just need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Save me. And he will. So just bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. Just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Do you need to repent of anything today? You need, just God I'm, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. If you do, right now do it. Do it right now. And I want to say this, and we used to do this all the time, and I don't know why we stopped, but if you're here today and you just need somebody to pray for you, there are people in the back right now who would love to pray for you, and you don't have to tell them anything about your story. You can just walk back there, and they'll just pray for you. Uh, but if you need somebody to pray for you this morning, you want, you want some encouragement, you want somebody to pray for you, listen, don't walk alone. You can get up right now from your seat. There are people right now in the back who would love to put an arm around you and just pray for you really quick, and then you can come back and get in your seat. But if you need somebody to pray for you this morning, I want you to get up and go right back to the back, the main back of the auditorium. Somebody will pray for you right now. Just get up and go. There's people moving right now. Go. If you, if you, hey, I, I need somebody to pray for me. You don't have to tell them. You can tell them your story. You don't have to tell them anything. But if you want to be prayed for this morning, there's people in the back. Go to them right now. Go. Men, women, you can go. But if you need to repent of something, no excuses, no excuses, no excuses. Jesus, I am sorry. And I am coming back to my first love today. Jesus, that's, that's our prayer. Our prayer is that God would come back. Our prayer, God, my prayer, my prayer is, is to love you. Not to work for you and not to talk about you. But that my heart is so caught up with you. That my heart is so addicted to you. That the cry of my life is more Jesus. God, that I want to be there. And I pray that right now we would just pause for a second. And God, if we need to come clean over anything in our hearts, God, that we would do it right now, right now in this moment. We would say, Jesus, I'm sorry. If you're here today and you're saying, Mark, there's something in my life I need to come clean to Jesus about. I need to ask Jesus to forgive me for this one thing, something in my life. Would you pray for me right now? Would you slip your hand up right now so I can pray for you? Slip your hand up right now. Say, Mark, God's convicted me about something. I need to come clean. Just raise your hand. There's a hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? There's another hand right over there. And maybe you're here today and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. God loves you and he wants to save you. If you want to be saved today, right now, right now, I'm going to pray a prayer. You pray this prayer with me and today you can be saved. Say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. I give my life to you from this moment forward. Help me to live for you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer to give your life to Jesus, would you just put your hand high in the air so I can see it and celebrate it with you? Lift your hand high. Say, Mark, today I gave my life to Christ for the first time. Jesus, right now, right now, right now, I pray that what we've talked about this morning wouldn't leave us. That, God, you want to set us free from sin, past, shame, guilt, all of it. Jesus, that we would have our first love, and that first love is you. 
Let that be true of our lives, of our church, of our families, that the community of the world would see it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's praise God for today, for this morning. I want to say something to you before we go. Um, hey, uh, really quick, if you're a middle school or high school student, tonight at 6 o'clock in our student building, we're having our Super Bowl uh, bash. Let's come. It's going to be all kinds of food. It's going to be a good time. But guys, life groups start this week. Love for you to jump into one of those. And don't forget, first, second time guests, we've got something for you at the welcome table. Guys, love you. You guys are dismissed. We'll see you next week. God bless you guys.